0: You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Colossians chapter 3, we're, we're continuing to uh, make our way through this, this epistle, this letter that Paul writes to the church there in Asia Minor, a city called Colossae. And those of you that are familiar with the New Testament and, and those of you that maybe have been around here a little while as we've journeyed through the New Testament, you know that Paul has a very unique writing style. And, and one of the, the things that's unique to Paul is that he always starts his letters with what God has done for us. He always begins by by saying, Look, this is what the Lord has done. This is what God has done for you, and and this is all of the blessings. You remember in Ephesians, that that, that book is, is really uh, cut right in half with that kind of an outline. The first three chapters, it's all about God's blessings. The last three chapters, all about how we respond to those blessings. And the same is true here in Colossians. In the first two chapters, we've seen the what. He, he's told us all about Jesus and how he is preeminent and he's the creator And that in him is found all of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And that in him is the fullness of God. And we've learned all of these doctrinal truths. And now here in chapter 3, Paul is going to change gears just a little bit. And he's going to begin to tell us how we can respond to that. And that's really the flavor and and the, the style that we want to have as a church we, we don't want you to come here and to merely think about all of the things that you are supposed to be doing for God. Do you ever get that feeling that you've just got this list of things and that God, kind of like Santa Claus, is checking his list, seeing if you've been naughty or nice, and, and he'll, he'll bless you if you're bad, or if you're good, and he will curse you if you're bad. And we kind of have this mentality I was just talking to a friend about that the other day, and, and he's just like, well, Ryan, I've, I've done everything that God's asked me to do, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm suffering, and I'm going through trials. And, and I said, you know what? You have this mindset that if you do what you're supposed to do, then your life is going to be perfect. And do you find that in the Bible? The Bible says you might do everything you're supposed to do and yet have suffering, and trials, and difficulty, and financial struggles, and relational difficulties. We're not promised that if we obey God, then everything will be perfect. We're promised that we obey God, and that we have blessing in eternity waiting for us. But we get so locked into this life, and it's bad theology. And and so, what Paul is, is wanting to, to share with us here is that as we understand all that God has done for us, we then respond to that. And that's what we want to give to you guys. Not a list of do's and don'ts. We want you guys to, to know what Jesus has done for you. And then when you understand that, you can't help but respond. You don't give so that God will love you. You don't serve the Lord so that you can go to heaven. You don't avoid sin so that God will accept you. You understand what Jesus has already done. You understand the cross. You understand all of the blessings. And then you want to give to the Lord. You want to serve Jesus. You want to tell others about Him. You want to avoid sin because the last thing you want to do is offend the God that went to such great lengths to die for your sin. See... We've got to see that God is the initiator, and we are the responders. It's very important in your walk with the Lord. If you get that backwards, man, you'll fall into legalism. You'll fall into the thing that my friend was falling into, which was, okay, I'll do this, and God has to do this. And you know what? You, you, you get discouraged, and you think, Lord, my life's falling apart. I, I did what you asked me to. But see, that, that isn't it. Our life may be falling apart, but we have a a Savior that we can trust in, that we know went to amazing lengths to prove His love to us, and so now we need never doubt His love again. And so here in Colossians chapter 3, we're we're in the midst of that transition. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. So let's read those, and then we'll, we'll talk about these things. If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. I want us to notice two things in our text this morning. The first thing is our focus, verses 1 through 4. Our focus. Second thing we'll, we'll look at is our fight in verses 5 through 11. But our focus, and we see this transition beginning there in verse 1. He says, if then. So in light of everything that Paul's talked about, he says, if then. If, if these things are true in your life, if you were raised with Christ, which we talked about in verse 12 of chapter 2, where he tells us that we were buried with him in baptism, And we were raised with Him through faith in the working of God. Literally, we have been raised with Christ into newness of life. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians, where he says that all things are new in Christ. We've literally been given a new life, a resurrected life. And just as Jesus was resurrected, so too we are resurrected as well through Him. And so since... That is true. If then, this is true of you. If you've given your life to Jesus, then you've been raised with Christ, then this is what you ought to be doing. He says, seek those things which are above. And and this is our focus. This is where our focus ought to be. Because of the fact that we are followers of Jesus Christ and we've been raised with Him, then we ought to seek Jesus and seek heavenly things. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And so we ought to be seeking heavenly things, not earthly things. What what is the passion of my life? What is the passion of your life? What is it that you're seeking after? Are you seeking to know Jesus better on a daily basis? Are you seeking to... Have God's will accomplished in your life as Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done. Is that what we are seeking? Or are we seeking promotion at work? Are we seeking more money? Are we, are we seeking to have a good time? Are we seeking to, to free ourselves up so that we can do whatever we want to do? Are, are we seeking a person? Are we seeking a, a career? Are we seeking an education? Are we seeking the, the new toys? What, what is it that, that we're seeking? Where, where is our passion? Paul says it should be on things that are above. Namely, Jesus. He should be our pursuit. It's been said that it shouldn't be an alarm clock that gets us out of bed in the morning. It should be a passion. A passion for God. What is it that, that drives you? What is it that gets you up each day? Seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind. Where is our mind focused? Obviously our mind can be focused on, on sinful things. And Paul talks about that and, and that's obviously wrong. But sometimes we can get our mind focused on seemingly good things and yet it distracts us and gets our focus still upon this world. It can be a business. I, I used to be a business owner. I know how consuming that can be where that's all that you think about. It, it can be a, a person. I, I remember dating my wife, and, and that that was sort of the focus of my life, that, you know, I can't wait until, until we're married and I don't have to use self-control anymore. <laughs> Just being honest. We were supposed to get married in, in like, April or May, and we ended up getting married in January. When Christians get married in January, you know why. It's pretty obvious. My wife still gives me a hard time about that every year on her anniversary when it's like snowing. And it's like, oh, it'd be fun to go to Portland, you know, for a couple of days. And, oh, the passes are nasty. And then she'll be like, why'd we get married in January, you know? But I remember that. The focus was was easily upon her and and upon our life together and not upon Jesus. Our, our focus can be upon sports and recreation, hunting. How many guys? I, I mean, it isn't just during the season. I mean, it's all year round. It's all they think about. It's all they talk about. It's, it's what they spend their money on. And they're willing to, to get up at 3, 4 in the morning all summer long to, to go scouting. And, hey, do you you want to come down and and, and help, you know, do this project at the church? Oh, it's my day off. I I can't get up that early. Really? You got up for like two weeks in a row at three in the morning to chase an animal through the woods. (laughs) You know? And, I mean, hey, I love hunting and I, I love the outdoors. But when that's the focus of our life, think about how ridiculous that is. For what? So that you can... Have a picture or a trophy on the wall, and how empty that is. Because it's never big enough. There's always a bigger one, right? For ladies, it's different. I mean, but it's never enough. There's always a new style or a new pair of shoes or a new outfit that I've got to get a new belt to match. I mean, it's never enough. We always want more. And when we're seeking those things, when we're setting our mind on those things, it, it can lead to all sorts of difficulties and troubles when Jesus isn't the focus of our life, when eternity isn't the focus of our life. Because, you guys, this life is so empty. It leaves us absolutely hopeless. And, and this is becoming so apparent to me just as I watch my dad. And, and for many years, my dad was was so focused on on the things of this world and and so focused on on a career so focused on the project always bringing home some you know beat up 57 Chevy that he was going to restore always dragging home somebody else's old car to to help them restore some boat and it was phenomenal what he could do with it but i think now as he looks back on his life He's not proud of all the homes that he restored. I mean, it was phenomenal what he did. All the cars. He's not thinking of all of the projects that he did. Right now, my dad can't communicate, but I know what he's thinking is, I wish I had spent more time with my family. I wish I had spent more time serving the Lord. That, that's what he's thinking. Yesterday, as I sat with him, possibly for the last time, as, as he held my hand, I know that what he wanted to say to me was just that. His eyes communicated that. And you know what, you guys? You have the opportunity to not lay on your deathbed and regret how you spent your life. You might only have a month. You might have a year. You might have 50 years. I don't know. But think about what's important. There's nothing wrong with recreation. There's nothing wrong with shopping. There's nothing wrong with relationships. But man, if that's the focus of your life If you think, I will be happy When I get one of those toy haulers And I can haul four wheelers And we can go to the beach and If you think that's going to make you happy You're sorely mistaken Because then you realize, man i got to pay for this stupid thing And gas is $4.50 a gallon And my truck gets eight miles to the gallon When I'm pulling this beast Right? And and it never makes you happy because there's just always something more. You get the new toy hauler, and then you pull up to the dunes, and somebody pulls in next to you with a better one. And they have speakers on the outside in a full-on kitchen that folds out. And, and you're thinking, man, maybe I'll trade mine in. And your wife says, why? We never use this one. Right? Or the four-wheeler and, oh, there's a new one and it's a four-stroke, you know. All, all these things. It's never enough. And, but here's the thing, and we've been talking about this for the last several t- weeks in Colossians. Jesus is enough. You will never be dissatisfied with Jesus. If Jesus is your focus, then you're not dissatisfied with that, that old four-wheeler. You're, you're not dissatisfied with, with the things that you have. All of a sudden, your spouse takes on a a whole new life in your eyes. Because you're not looking for your spouse to fulfill you. You're looking to be Jesus to your spouse. And it changes everything. See, if Andrea is supposed to fulfill me, then she will never measure up. She'll never measure up. If I'm supposed to fulfill her, then man, I can't live up to that, that task impossible. If you're looking for your kids to fulfill you, they're going to let you down. Guys, it has to be Jesus. And then everything else will fall into its appropriate place in your life. It's appropriate to recreate and to ride four-wheelers and to go hunting and to go shopping. It's appropriate to have relationships. But when they get out of whack in your life, they will leave you empty. And it will never be enough. But Jesus is enough. Where is your focus today? Paul says that we died in verse 3. He says we've been raised with Christ. And therefore we ought to be seeking and setting our mind upon Christ. Because we died to the old life. And our life is hidden with Christ in God. The idea is that our life is no longer our own. We're dead to that old life. And so... We shouldn't be asking, what makes me happy? What fulfills me? We should be saying, Jesus, I'm dead. My life belongs to you. What makes you happy, God? What blesses you? What do you want me to do with my life? Or maybe, what do you want me to do with with this weekend? Or with my vacation? Or with my free time? Or with my free money? God, what do you want me to do? Not what makes me happy. See, that's what we think. Lord, thanks for dying on the cross for me. Thanks for giving me eternal life. And now I'm going to pursue what makes me happy. That's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about death. Jesus died, and now he asks you to die to yourself. Your life doesn't belong to you if you're a follower of Jesus this morning. It just doesn't. And when Christ, who is our life, see, there's the reality. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, see, we've died to the old person, to the old Ryan. It's dead. My life now belongs to Jesus. And when Christ, who is my life, the reality of my life, the real life, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Paul is saying, look, we ought to be setting our mind on things above. We ought to be seeking Jesus because that's the reality. And soon you're going to stand before him. And you're going to give an account for what you did with what he gave you. As a follower of Jesus, we will stand before Jesus and we will give an account for what we did with what he gave us. We won't give an account for our sin. That's under the blood of Jesus. But we will give an account for what we did with what he gave us. And Paul is saying, man, don't you want to have your mind and your focus be upon eternity so that when you stand before him, you don't stand before him ashamed and naked thinking, Lord, I wasted my life pursuing all sorts of things that maybe in and of themselves aren't bad. But when they become the focus, they do become sinful verses 5 through 11, Paul then begins to talk about our fight. Because you guys, when our focus is right, when we are truly following Jesus, there is a fight going on on a daily basis that makes any MMA match look like a couple of kids wrestling in the front room. The, the fight that you are involved in on a daily basis is so intense, it's so huge. This fight between your flesh and the spirit. Between what your flesh wants to do, the old man, the old woman, and what your spirit wants to do, the new man, the new woman. And there's this fight going on between the two. And Paul describes this in verse 5. He says, Therefore, because of who Jesus is, because your life is hidden with Him, because we will stand before Him one day, therefore, put to death your members. What what are members? Are are, are they talking about people at church? No. We don't want to do that. Put to death your members. The the fleshly appetites is what he's talking about. The fleshly appetites. And then he goes on to describe those. Put to death your fleshly appetites which are on the earth. These earthly, fleshly appetites. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. All of these words describe sexual sin. That's what Paul is talking about here. Fornication is any sexual relationship, any sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage. Now we even have to get more specific than that in our day and age and say any sexual activity outside the bond of marriage, even homosexual activity, even if the state says it's okay. And that's what this word fornication means. It it's a Greek word that we have adopted into English. The Greek is pornea. It describes any kind of sexual sin, uncleanness. This is having to do with your mind in unclean thoughts, lustful thoughts. Passion is is a a, a sexual passion that is being Used in a, in a way that would not fit into what God says is acceptable. Not in that monogamous, heterosexual marriage. Anything outside of that, anything whether we're thinking in our mind, as Jesus said, that if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery with her. Basically indicting every man that's ever lived on the planet as a sinner, right? Including those Pharisees. That thought they were so righteous. Because they had never committed adultery. But then Jesus said, yeah, but you've had lustful thoughts. And that's the same thing in God's point of view. And so fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. This is the, the, the desire, the, the lust for a woman who is not your wife. A man who is not your husband. Or any other sexual sin. That evil desire that exists within every one of us. It exists in our flesh, and we have to put it to death, Paul says. And covetousness, which often this word is used to describe the love of money, greed. But in this context, it's speaking of coveting a person sexually who you're not married to. That's what this would reference. And Paul says we need to put these things to death because it's idolatry. And you don't have to be very old to understand that sex is an idol in our culture and in our society. It's an idol. It's an idol that many, many people worship. Billions of dollars are spent. Lives are ruined. Time is consumed in the pursuit of sex. Now, sex, in and of itself, is not wrong. And that's the thing, like, in the church, we don't want to talk about it at all. And so, we raise kids to think that sex is bad. We tell them, don't do it, it's bad. And then they start experimenting with it, and they think, no, this isn't bad. This isn't bad at all. Right? This is kind of fun. So, what do you mean this is bad? Well, we have to... We have to describe and we have to educate not only ourselves but our children as to what God means. Sex is not bad. God created sex. We've demented and distorted it. And so we have to educate our kids. And I would say that in this culture and in this society, we need to start doing that at Younger ages than ever before I don't know what age that would be for your kids My kids are five and three I haven't started talking about it with them yet But maybe it's seven, maybe it's eight I don't know Your kids start asking questions Don't give them, it's bad We don't want to talk about it That's not going to work, guys It's not going to work You're going to have to sit down with your kids And it might be hard for you to do But you need to sit down with your kids And you need to talk to them about these things Biblically and you need to be honest with them. Because your kids are going to hear about it, and it better be from you. It better be from the pulpit of the church. And not when your kid is 5, 6 years old, and they're hearing about it from a 4th and 5th grader. It's what happened to me. I'm sure it happened to a lot of you. It's not the way it's supposed to be. They need to hear about it from us, you guys. And they need to hear about it, that it's beautiful, that it's from God, that it's wonderful. when. It's done right. Otherwise, it will leave you empty and hurting and destroyed. And so we don't avoid the subject. It's not taboo. It's not dirty. We've got to get that out of our thinking. But the, the things that Paul describes here, they are dirty. They are sinful. And we can't compromise. And we can't buy in to the patterns of the world and think, well, this is okay. They're just kicking the tires a little bit. They're just experimenting. They're just having fun. No. They're destroying their life a little at a time. And he says, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And so God's wrath is coming. Now this is something, again, that the church doesn't like to talk about, is the wrath of God. It seems like it's, it's either talked about too much or not talked about at all. You know what I mean? Like... That's all a preacher talks about, and he's just screaming and yelling at people all the time. God hates you, you know. <laughs> just sinners in the hands of an angry God every week, and it's like, man, if God loves me, could you please tell your face, right? <laughs> could, you, could you please, like, demonstrate that a little bit? And it's just pounding the pulpit, and it's, you sinners, you ugly... You know, and if they could cuss, they would, but they can't because they're legalistic, so they don't. (laughs) Otherwise, they might as well, right? (laughs) And that's one end of the spectrum. But then there's the other end where it's just not talked about at all. And it's like, oh, we don't want to talk about that because that will offend people. Well, look, I would rather have you be offended at me today then wonder later why you never heard about it when it becomes a reality. Now the thing is, is the wrath of God isn't always sending people to hell. It's not always eternal judgment. God's wrath can be temporary and temporal and right here on the earth. In Romans chapter 1 and 2 describe that when God gives you over to your sin. That's the wrath of God. And it's a scary place to be when God gives you over to these things that he describes here. When time and time again, you rebel against God, you rebel against God, and finally God says, fine, have it your way. And, and we've opened ourselves up to all kinds of sexually transmitted diseases. That's part of the wrath of God. See, sexually transmitted diseases wouldn't exist if we obeyed God. AIDS wouldn't exist if we obeyed God. It might exist, but it wouldn't spread. It wouldn't have been a problem. And all of the things, all of the weirdness, and all of the stuff that's being passed on is really the result of God's wrath where God just says, look, I'm handing you over to these things. And you'll have to deal with the consequences. And so there's there's children that are, that are born when you're not ready to have children. And not that that child is not is any less loved by God. But when you're 16, 15 years old, trying to raise a baby, you recognize right away, this is why God said, don't do it this way. The, the wrath of God that is destroying families. See, the Bible not only tells us, don't commit adultery, don't commit fornication, but the Bible also gives us illustrations as to what it does. And you look at the life of David, and you see what one decision where he thought it was no big deal. But one decision led to other decisions and lying and deception, which led to the destruction of his family, which led his children to not respect him. This is all part of the wrath of God. And so it's not just flames shooting out of heaven, you guys. It's not just a thunderbolt or a lightning strike. It's very practical. And maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've experienced these things. And you have to break that cycle in your life. You have to break that pattern of sin. You have to put to death your members. Otherwise it will destroy you. And your sin will find you out. It always does. The wrath of God is coming, verse 7, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. We used to to participate in these things. And it was no big deal. But now you're a follower of Christ. And it's unacceptable. And it's sinful. And it's wrong. And it's hurtful to God. And it's damaging to your testimony. And it's destructive to your family. But now you yourselves are to put off these things. Anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy. Filthy language out of your mouth. And just for the sake of time. These are verbal sins. Lying. Verbal abuse sexually crude language, cursing, and in different cultures and in different contexts, this is a little different, but you know when something is appropriate and when it isn't. The, the generation I grew up in says things that the generation that you may have grown up in didn't. Or the, the way that I think of that word and the way that you think of that word may be two different things. And so if you're not being convicted about a certain word... And, and and believe me the f word isn't one of those you know everybody's <laughs> offended by that let's just let's just understand that but you know what i mean there's certain words that maybe you're not offended by i'm not offended by but maybe your 70 year old grandmother is see so you have to be sensitive to that but that's what he's talking about verbal sin wrath where you just lose it and you have no control over your tongue and you're you're just saying things that are destructive and you can never get those back. Malice. Saying things with the intention of hurting people. you got to stop that. Blasphemy. In this context, it's, ta- it's slander. Would be a better way to translate this word. It means saying things to destroy the reputation and the character of someone with the intent of harming them whether it's true or not. The fact that it's true doesn't make it right. Now, there are times where people have to be called out on things. There's accountability. There's times where we have to to tell a story for the sake of justice. But if you're just going around slandering people to make yourself look good, it's sinful. It's destructive. There's people that need to know maybe about a certain thing, and then there's people that don't need to know. In other words, if there's things going on in the church, maybe I need to know about it, but maybe you don't, see? And so, when somebody comes to you and says, "Man, did you hear about so and so and what they've been up to?" It may be true. And they, and maybe I needed to know about it cuz I needed to hold them accountable to that, and there needed to be things done, or maybe the police need to hold them accountable. But it doesn't need to be spread all around town. We don't need to destroy their character and their reputation with our tongue. You see what I'm saying? There's a big difference. We have to understand that. And that's what Paul's talking about. Slander, filthy language. Don't let these things come out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. It's pretty self-explanatory. But there's a lot of different ways we can lie and we can deceive. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. We've put it off. Paul likes to use this, this language of... Putting it off and putting on, like clothes. If your kid comes in after playing out in the mud, you don't just put new clothes over the top of the old. You have to take off the dirty clothes and then put on clean. And that's the the illustration that Paul is using. Put off the dirty clothes. Put off the sinful so that you can put on Christ. And we'll talk about putting on Christ next week in verses 12 through 17. Put off the old man with his deeds. Very practical. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And then finally he says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And here's how I see this applying. is He's talking about all this sinful activity. And then he says, Look, in Christ... Because Christ is in all and is all. In Christ, all of your excuses are meaningless. Well, you see, I've got an alcohol problem because I'm Irish. Because I'm Native American. It's just, it's innate within me. Really? Because if anybody was going to be an alcoholic, I think I was doomed to it. I come from a long line on both sides of alcoholics. And so if anybody was going... To have a predisposition to that, it would have been me. And yet, I hate alcohol. i got lots of other issues, but I hate alcohol. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? We, got, we, we, can't, we can't have these kinds of excuses in Christ. Well, you see, I'm hot-blooded. I'm Italian, and that's why I'm a fornicator. Really? Is that true? Or is that an excuse? Well, I'm German. I've got a hot temper. It doesn't work in, in Christ. We're all sinners, Well, see, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. Well, join the club. (laughs) Now, I don't say that to be uh, flippant or terse at all. I know some of you went through just unthinkable abuse and destruction, and it does carry over into your life. But look, you have to allow God to break that in your life. You can't continue to use that as an excuse as to why you're doing what you're doing. You have to be the one to break it. Just because you were abused as a child. Doesn't give you the right to pass it on to your children. God will hold you accountable. For your actions. You have to break that bondage in your life. You have to break that sin that was done against you. You have to allow Jesus. To be all. And in all. In your life. No more excuses. Come to Jesus. And allow him to do that work so that you can apply these things in your life. I want to give you guys an opportunity to do that this morning. We're going to have people up here to pray with you as the worship team comes to close us in, in a song. I want to give you guys the opportunity to do a couple things this morning. One is, maybe you're a believer here this morning, and man, these things that we talked about, whether it be sexual sin or verbal sin, Bear with me for just a little bit longer. Whether it be one of those things or any kind of sin in your life that you've allowed to consume you, maybe you need to to do what the Bible says, and that is to confess your sins one to another. You need to have somebody come alongside of you and pray for you. And we'll have people available to do that. Maybe it's something else that you need prayer for. That's awesome as well. But maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer. Everything I've said to you this morning is like kind of reading somebody else's mail. You're just thinking, man, it sounds amazing. I want my sins forgiven. I want Jesus. I want all of that. But I I don't have it, but I want it. Man, we want to pray with you this morning. We we want to allow uh, you the opportunity to invite Jesus into your life. And, And we just want to come alongside you to do that. And so if, if you want Jesus, I encourage you to come up and to get prayer. If you, if you, need, if you are a believer and, and you just need forgiveness and you need to be cleansed and you, you need to be refreshed, we want to pray with you as well. So we'll have people up here to pray with you. And um, we'll, why don't we stand together and we'll close with this song. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.